When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode... A Vancouver paranormal researcher describes a number of his team's investigations, including the case of the Demon Jar. They had a regular patron there that would always come in. He was Aboriginal, and he fancied himself a medicine man. And he had gone up to to Reese, who's the manager. He'd said to the guy, every time I come in here, I get harassed by this spirit, and it's a demon, and I've actually been able to capture it in this jar. And he sealed it with tape, and he gave it to Reese. He says, don't, you know, I'm giving it to you to save keep. Don't ever open it. Hey, check out the huge selection of Strange Planet merchandise in my online shop. Go to strangeplanet.ca and click on Shop in the menu, or find the link in the episode notes for this podcast. At my Strange Planet shop, you'll find unique men's, women's, unisex t-shirts and athletic shirts, leggings, tote bags, mugs, neck gaiters, and stickers and more. All emblazoned with amazing artwork designed exclusively for my Strange Planet shop by artist illustrator Rick Forgus. If you're a fan of Strange Planet, why not show it off? Go to strangeplanet.ca and click on shop or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link. It's a strange planet. Dress for it. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday and happy Halloween. Well, tomorrow at least. And alas, my boys are now too grown up to go trick-or-treating. So that's the end of that chapter. Such great memories over the years, Halloween. We, we pulled the Halloween costume trunk out of the garage yesterday and were appreciating some of the great costumes the boys wore over the years. Zach was a, a ghost cowboy one year, and he was Frodo from The Hobbit another year. North dressed up like the ghost of Brahms, you know, the composer Brahms. And we even had a sheet of music from his opus, I think opus 45, The Requiem. And so we called him the D composer. Another year, North wore all of his clothes backwards and he was backwards man. I tell you, I'm going to miss it. Uh, Not sure how many trick-or-treaters we'll have this year because of COVID, but we're prepared and we'll see what happens tomorrow night. In the meantime, uh, eat, drink, and be scary. 
Jason Hewlett, the director of the paranormal documentary series We Want to Believe, is here to discuss the series and his research, including the truth versus myth of paranormal investigations, as well as other high strangeness, including the case of the demon jar. Jason is a journalist, broadcaster, and podcaster with a degree in filmmaking and film studies. He has more than a decade's experience as an investigator and researcher. He's experienced paranormal phenomenon since childhood and went on his first ghost hunt in 2003. Jason conducted his own investigations until joining Vancouver Paranormal Society in 2017, where he is now a lead investigator and society director. Hey, Jason, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing great, Richard. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm, I'm excited and honored to be here. We want to believe. Tell me about the premise. These are webisodes, right? So tell me about the format. Yeah, it's a it's a monthly YouTube series over on Joe Blow Horror Videos, and the episodes run about 10 minutes. And what they are, basically, I'm a part of a group called Vancouver Paranormal Society out in Western Canada, and uh, its president is Peter Wren, and he's been a paranormal investigator for about 27 years, and he's kind of worked all over the world. And he and I have been investigating together for about three, almost four years. And we decided um, that we wanted to do something, because there's a lot of shows out there about paranormal investigation. Most of them, even though they're positioned as reality shows, they tend to feel scripted and stories eventually come out that, that things have been staged, etc. And Peter wanted to do something that kind of showed what being a paranormal investigator was, was really like, because he had been approached numerous times by, by Netflix, Discovery Channel. And it always seemed that the conversation always seemed to steer towards staging things for, for you know, scares and ratings. And he kind of wanted to do the the opposite of that. Um, so he and I were going to do a podcast. And when we were kind of doing our first sort of investigation that was going to be a podcast, I did a Facebook live video kind of talking about it. A friend of mine who runs uh, Arrow in the Head, which is part of the Joe Blow Movie Network, which is like this large movie entertainment site, saw that video and thought it would make a great YouTube show for one of their channels, Joe Blow Horror Videos. And so they approached me about doing it that way. I have a film background. I said, sure, convinced Peter it was a good idea. We put a team together and basically just started going out and filming our investigations. And then we kind of edit them and package them into these 10 minute segments with kind of an investigation covering about maybe two episodes, sometimes three. And that's kind of how that that all sort of comes about and what the show is about. We try to show what it's like when you're at a location that's allegedly haunted and the steps that go involved in investigating that. It's been described as a paranormal investigator show for paranormal investigators, meaning what exactly? It's for people who actually kind of are interested in what paranormal investigation is like or for people who, who do it and want to see it portrayed in, in, a, in a believable way. Uh, like we don't fake anything on location. We don't, we don't try to, you know, when we're investigating, we sort of just film what's going on and put it together. If we find something, we, we show it in the best possible way that we can without playing it up. If we don't find anything, we, we say we didn't find anything. And if we don't know, we don't know. What evidence we do get, we kind of present to the viewer to kind of make up their own minds anyways. Uh, and that's kind of where that kind of analogy comes from. Obviously, that's an anathema to television, uh, reality TV, to to go out on an expedition and to come up empty-handed would be like a fishing show, and that particular day, you don't catch anything. Exactly. That's exactly what it's like. And if you're on a network show, like on A&E or something, there's, I, I think there'd be a horrible blowback from the, from the network to, to, you know, and a lot of pressure to find something. Otherwise, you don't want your show to get pulled off the air, and YouTube's a bit different. Um, I mean, views count, but it, 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 things don't hinge strictly on how many people are viewing at, at all, which I think is why it seemed like a good fit for us. 
Tell me a little bit about Peter Wren, because you mentioned 27 years as an investigator, and Vancouver Paranormal Society is one of the oldest paranormal uh, outfits anywhere, right? It is, yeah. They, they've been around, I think they're the oldest one in Western Canada for sure. They're one of the few that's actually like a government-registered society, which gives them some credibility. And then Peter started, oh, he's from England, so he started way back well, 27 years, I'd put him well into the 90s. And he sort of did, you know, piggybacked on just a group of paranormal investigators in England and kind of kind of came up through the ranks that way and eventually formed his own group in England named Croydon Paranormal. And, and he sort of traveled to Australia and New Zealand and done investigations there. And then he ended up here in Canada. And he's one of those guys that really has kind of seen and done it all in terms of paranormal investigations. Like in England, he'd, he'd be able to get into like, you know, the you know, Warwick Castle and, you know, the London Dungeon to do investigations there. And he went to Fremantle Prison in, in Australia and, and did investigations there. And here in Canada, he's kind of done a lot in on the West Coast, you know, down in Vancouver and kind of up here in the interior where I'm located and where he's now located. Then he also does um, investigations for an ordained exorcist out of Washington State. So he's the guy that will go in and, and, and determine whether or not there's anything actually there worth the exorcist time to come up and perform an exorcism. So he does all the preliminary checks and balances there. So he's he's done a lot, a lot of stuff, and it's been really cool to partner up with him, get to know him, work alongside him, and learn the ropes that way. So give me a sense how Vancouver Paranormal Society, how your team operates when you do an investigation. Tell me a little bit about the other team members and the uh, equipment you utilize and your protocols. Well, there it, it's a varied group. Um, it's a rather large organization. I'm not sure how many members we have now, but they're, they're most like easily a dozen or two dozen. Um, a lot of them have been doing it for a long time, some for a short period of time. And they kind of, that's how I got involved was just basically they're doing a membership drive and we're looking for people in the interior. So I just kind of, you know, applied and got on board that way. But when an investigation comes in, one of the first steps is there's kind of this interview phase to find out if the people who are saying they're dealing with this alleged haunting have something or not. Uh, and that's a very important thing because nine times out of 10, what people think is a haunting can be easily explained away. And so there's kind of this process that goes, you know, checking the location out, making sure there's no carbon monoxide leaks. You know, there's not like, you know, a, a logical explanation for what's happening. You know, are the people that are saying their, their house is haunted or, you know, just, are these hauntings taking place, you know, just at bedtime? Could it be like sleep paralysis? Are they, you know, they have mental health issues, you know, drug, alcohol, that kind of thing. And once it's been determined that all that's ruled out, there's kind of a, we go in, we do like kind of a house or building tour, depending if it's a residence or a commercial property. We look around for ourselves. We get the, the homeowner or the property owner to explain what's going on. And then quite often we'll ask them to leave. And so then we can conduct our investigation. That way, what, what the people are experiencing isn't influencing us as investigators. We want to experience it for ourselves. And then we'll kind of set up our equipment and, and conduct basically like EVP sessions uh, to kind of see if we get anything back. And I mean, in the equipment, the primary tools that we use, the digital recorder is a big one because that's kind of where you record the bulk of your evidence. Um, cameras, obviously, uh, both film cameras, you know, like like film cameras and a steady, like still cameras that have quite often a motion activation device on it. So we'll set them up around the house and in a room. And if anything kind of moves, it'll cause the camera to go off. And then we also use what's called a spirit box, uh, which is a device that channels through AM, FM frequencies and the idea behind that is that if ghosts are, say, formed of electromagnetic energy, which is one of the big theories behind it, you'll be able to pick up their voices using radio frequencies. And the spirit box kind of channels through those. And you ask 
questions, not just yes or no questions, but questions that will generate an, an actual answer. Um, and if something breaks through and the static stops and you get an answer that's related to the question that you're asking, we count that as something greater towards evidence than just sort of hearing like a yes or a no. And we'll kind of investigate as long as needed, um, depending on also how long that the homeowner or property owner wants us there. And then we'll kind of break, go back, review evidence, spend a couple of weeks going over photos, audio, and then present it back to the homeowner or property owner, what we found, if we didn't found anything. And that's kind of a basic gist for how for how things work within Vancouver Paranormal. So you mentioned the spirit box, and that's kind of live, real time, whereas yeah. EVPs, you may have to go back and listen because you didn't hear the voice with the naked ear. You have to go back sometimes and, and wade through, what, hours and hours of audio recording, right? Yo, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's the rare time that you actually hear something live when it happens, but yeah, you're right, most of the time, you're going back and going over something, hoping you hear something, and then you wonder if that sound you've heard is actually a voice, or maybe it's just like a, a metallic ping or something happening within the house. Um, whereas, yeah, the spirit box, you're hearing it as it comes through, and you're kind of responding to what it's what you're hearing on that. And I mean, it's not a flawless bit. I know there's a lot of people that are wondering if what you're hearing, like there's, there are times you're picking up radio chatter from a radio station or even like, you know, a CB and, you know, you, you kind of wonder if someone, you know, guys parked on the side of the road messing with you with a CB radio or not, but it, it, I've seen it work and we've got at some locations, like we'll get a name and the name you'll go back and do your research or you've done your research beforehand and actually coincides with someone that maybe owned the property before or who lived there if it was a home. And that kind of carries a bit more weight to it. So we also like to do as much research beforehand as we can. So we can ask those questions to get that, those answers that we want that can validate what what people are experiencing. Can you maybe share some of the conversations you've had via the Spirit Box on a recent investigation? Yeah, well, there's a location up here in the interior of British Columbia called Bailey House, and uh, we've been in there a few times. Vancouver Paranormal has been going there off and on for years, and I've been there recently in the last couple of years. And we we were doing one of those Spirit Box sessions, and we're asking for a name. And we got the name Tom, and there was indeed a guy named Tom, Tom McDonough, I believe, who did actually own the property from in the 90s. So that was kind of one bit of evidence there. Um, we're also at a hotel, and it's actually one of the episodes that we filmed for We Want to Believe, where there had been a, a reportedly, it's a, whole, it's a place that's used as kind of social housing now, but it was a hotel. And there was a gentleman on the property who has he's claiming things are coming into his room and he's yelling at it. And we were actually doing our walkthrough and he started going off at something in his room, yelling at it, calling it a demon, and, you know, and swearing and everything. And when we were doing an EVP session, we actually, when we were asking for the names of someone, it actually responded with demon, actually, which is, is, is a rare thing. And there's a whole other conversation that could be had about demons and if they're real or not. But it was just interesting how that tied into this kind of demon experience that this guy was having and also someone on the property was saying who did die at the location was named holly and we actually got holly come up as a name of someone on the spirit box as well so those are kind of two more recent examples that we had and what about photographic evidence or uh, video anything that you've captured that stands out for photograph peter has, has captured some compelling uh photographic evidence um one at the colmont hotel he got an app a, apparition standing next to him he could was just sitting at the bar in the hotel and was you know was just sort of conducting evp session he felt something come up beside him so he flashed off his camera and he captured this image of this woman that was just kind of materializing uh also at the hotel where we we 
did our one of our episodes where we got the demon EVP. We got a shadowy shape in kind of the one of the main bars as well on on uh, on still camera. Uh, in terms of something on film, that sort of just is so far has just been a really good method of just kind of backing up your EVPs because you're filming the whole session, EVP session, and also the whole spirit box session, and it's just become another reference point. Sadly, I, I haven't got anything on film yet, uh, which. I would love to, because <laughs> I think that just add a whole level of excitement to things to actually capture something on film. The name we want to believe suggests, you know, we want to believe possible skepticism. I mean, do you? How do you approach the the whole paranormal arena? You or other members of the team are some of you like dyed in the wool skeptics, or uh, you you go in there with the assumption that there's possibility that there's something happening real here. I think it's. Like we all would like to believe all of us to varying degrees. We do have someone on like, you know, especially on the we want to believe crew who is a who is a skeptic, uh, which is good because it keeps the rest of us balanced. But we all kind of go in wanting to believe. But I think you need that healthy skepticism, like a definitely healthy skepticism, because if you go in, you're already kind of primed. You're going into locations you're hearing are haunted. And I think it's really easy to get carried away and take every experiencing you have in that building as a sign of paranormal activity. So I think we are all skeptical even Peter after 27 years, because you want to question everything you find and try to rule out every possible alternative first without just jumping on something as being paranormal. Um, and, and even once you have, say if you have something that you've, you can't rule out as paranormal, the next thing that happens in that location must be viewed the same way. Like as an example, at Bailey House, we were conduct. Peter and I were there, we were conducting our investigation. We started getting some really good EVPs. Like we had, you know, spirits sort of swearing at us and these experiences, and we actually had a toy fly off a shelf, and it came off the shelf. It couldn't have rolled off. Couldn't have been from a passing vehicle or train. There was nothing that close that could have caused it. It had flew far enough, several feet out, that it was like it was thrown out. And so that we couldn't rule that out. But then we started to hear this moan, almost like that stereotypical moan you hear in ghost shows. And so Peter and I were like, "Wow!" And we we got it as an EVP, like we heard it live. We went back and checked. We got it. It started happening again. And then what we realized it was happening with a certain frequency. So we looked, and in that room there was this hairline crack in a window, and it was windy enough outside to force air through it that was causing the moan. So we could rule that out. And that that wind was also not strong enough to have pushed off the toy off the shelf. The shelf was far enough away not to be affected. So you kind of got to approach all these things individually to not let your enthusiasm and your imagination kind of lead you down a path you don't want to go and see everything as being a ghost or, or some kind of paranormal event. Do you have a ratio in terms of number of investigations and those that come back, nothing happening, and versus those where there's maybe quite likely some paranormal activity? We've, I've had a few, like a handful, where there's absolutely been nothing that's happened. And there's been some where you would sort of, you would get things on a spirit box or EVPs, but you can't, I mean, you're not, you're, you've got something, but you're not sure if it's really much of anything. There's been no real ratio, rhyme or reason to any of it. Um, I will say that so far in my three years that I've been doing it professionally, I've, we've found something more often than not that we can't we can't say 100% of it's paranormal, but we can't rule it out either. That's kind of an on the fence sort of answer there. No, that's surprising. Uh, I mean, it's surprisingly high. Uh, you know, it is. A hand it is more so than I thought. Yeah. Right. There's, but there's been a few times, I think about two or three, where it's like, no, there's nothing here, and it's just the people want more wanting something than they're actually being something. So how did this get started for you personally? Tell me about your childhood uh, paranormal experiences. Well, I've had, I had a few that kind of really kicked off my interest. One, I was, I was young, five or six. 
and I was in the back of my mom's car and we had, we parked at a friend's place. A friend of mine was going to sleep over and he was in the house grabbing his stuff and my mom was talking to the mother. And I was just sort of sitting in the car, kind of looking around and, and suddenly this face appeared in the back window of the car. Like one second it wasn't there and then it was. And it was a face that I can only describe as kind of mongoloid and quite frightening. And literally it, it wasn't there, it was there and it disappeared, but it jarred me enough that I kind of dropped to the floor of the car. Um, and then I kind of came up and it was gone. And my friend walked up and I'm like, were you just messing around with the back of the car? And he's like, no, no, not at all. That wasn't there. And there wasn't anyone else on the street. Didn't see anything. So I kind of, I told my mom and she just sort of said it was probably just, you know, someone on this riding around. But I know, you know, at the time that there was no one around and it's still something that sticks with me to this day. This kind of the first time I had something happen that spooked me. It was broad daylight and I just couldn't understand what had happened. And then if, when I was in my teens, we live up here in British Columbia, Canada, lots of lakes. Our family had a place on a lake, and a friend of mine and I were out at the cabin. Parents were at the cabin. We were out playing in the woods. It was dusk. We were coming home along this path we always take. And we went by this tree, and we looked, and underneath the tree, there was like this little lean-to built with a fire pit beside it, and there was this bone laying there on the ground. Uh, and it was just, it was there. We'd never seen it before. We'd been by this place a ton it was all small, almost doll sized, but just slightly bigger. And it was dusk. We just saw that. It was really weird and it kind of spooked us. So we went back home to the cabin. And then the next day, first thing in the morning, it was still in our minds. We talked about it almost all night. We ran back out to that location and it was all gone. No sign that anything had even been there. And that really, really threw me for a loop. Like I've never had anything like that happen before or since. And it was just startling. And it was so unrelated to anything even ghostly. I don't even know how to describe that. But that's when things really kicked into high gear for me in terms of what is going on around us. And, and, and is there more to this world than what we think there is or what we see? And were there other paranormal experiences? I don't know, something under the bed, etc.? <laughs> I was always, it was, it was funny. Like I kind of would always get this sense of stuff being around, especially as I kind of got more into my teenage years. I would wonder like, you know, I'd be in bed and I kind of wake up with a start and, and, you know, turn on the lights and have to check under the bed or in the closet. Um, and those would persist well into my 20s to a point where, you know, beyond being just a regular kid fear of the dark. And then it was after my father passed away. I was 19 that I started. I was living in the house. I went back to the house where I grew up and he had built the home after he died. And I took the place over and I started having stuff happen in that house that I couldn't explain. And I was almost convinced that there was his presence there. Like for one, I remember sort of sleeping in what was the master bedroom. There was this ensuite, and I kind of woke up and I would hear, I heard footsteps coming out of the ensuite, past the end of the bed through the hallway. And I remember turning the light on and I could hear something going down the hall. And I got up and ran to the hallway and turned the light on and a shape went around the corner at the end of the hall towards the staircase that would lead to the basement, which is where my dad's old workshop was. And the footsteps went down into the basement and then stopped. Um, and I actually got right out of bed. So I got out of bed and I moved. I wasn't at that point dreaming or sleeping or anything like that. And that was something that really stuck with me. Another time I was sitting, talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about my dad, um, stuff like uh, talking about my dad and he had never met my dad. So I was explaining it to him and he's like, well, this is kind of, what do you think? Like living in, you know, in this house where he built and I, do you ever, do you ever get that feeling that maybe there's something there? And, uh, the lights went out. All the lights in the house went out, not on the block, just in the house. And I remember just sort of jokingly saying, okay, dad, that's enough. And all the lights popped back on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so that was something. Those were a couple things that really stuck with me. And it was after that uh, when I went into journalism school, because that's sort of one of my backgrounds. I was a newspaper reporter for 10 years. One of our assignments was to write a magazine article. And having had an interest in the paranormal, I decided that I wanted to write one for Fordian Times, which is, was a, is a big publication. Um, and in our where I live in Kamloops, there was a place called Tronquil Sanitarium, and it was a tuberculosis clinic turned mental health facility that shut in the 80s when they closed all of them down here in the province. And it has quite a history that goes with it. It's become like you know, an urban legend kind of place. And so I put together a group of people, like a skeptic. I found someone who was said to be a psychic, someone who had past experiences out there, and a colleague of mine that was working in television. And we got his gear, and we went out and we did an all-night investigation, and we had stuff happen. Like almost right away, we'd have fully charged camera gear when suddenly all the gear would, the batteries would just die, like within minutes. Um, we, we were in a building uh, walking around and then the lights went out and we heard her, the, the, the girl was with a scream and the lights came back on. And you could see that her, it looked like her toque had been pulled up off her head because it was winter and it was just sort of settling down. And we caught some lights that we couldn't explain either. So, I mean, that was kind of my first real paranormal investigation long before, like, you know, a good 14 years before I, I, I hooked up with Vancouver Paranormal. But once you kind of do that, you get hooked. And I've been out to Tronquil a few times since and had stuff happen I, I can't explain or understand. So that's sort of a little bit about how I kind of got interested and how just basically one thing would lead me to the other thing to the other thing. And it becomes kind of this rabbit hole you go down uh, and you just can't stop doing it. More of my conversation with Jason Hewlett when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. I use Life Change Tea from Get The Tea every morning and it's made such a huge difference in my life. 
buy a one-year supply of Super Strength Life Change Tea and start feeling rejuvenated right now. Life Change Tea is not the same tea you buy in a store off the shelf. Life Change Tea from Get The Tea has eight powerful herbs blended together to maximize your health. This tea is specially formulated to help cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. The colon is one of the most ignored organs in the human body. The faster that waste is eliminated from the body, the less time that waste sits in our intestines, spreading toxins to our bloodstream. The benefits of this product go way beyond what I've listed here. Do your research and start your day with a cool, refreshing 16-ounce glass of Super Strength Life Change Tea. It's non-GMO, organic, caffeine-free, and again, not available in any store. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. So go on, get your tea from getthetea.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to treat, cure, or diagnose any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. Theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Jason Hewlett, the director of the web series We Want to Believe, is here. Getting back to Peter Wren for a moment, because he came from England, and uh, England is, I mean, you just, you're literally, every every step you take, you're walking on the bones of ancestors, and there's just just so much history, and uh, because it's so old, and Vancouver, by contrast, is a relatively new city. Uh, how did, how does Peter find the the level of paranormal activity in Vancouver compared to uh, merry old England? Well, it's interesting because, yeah, England is, and, and I've been to England too, and you can feel the history no matter where you go. Um, and we don't have that out here, especially in Western Canada. But, I mean, Vancouver Paranormal as a whole, as a group, and Peter would attest to this, is bi- every weekend there's there's investigations. There's stuff happening all the time. And it's it seems to be equally as busy as, as it would have been for him back home, if not more so right now. Um, which is, I don't know if, we could, if it's because it's, you know, we've got a global pandemic and people are just home more and experiencing things more. But there seems to definitely not be any shortage of experiences people are having. I know especially when you go to older sites like the Orpheum Theater, which is an old, old theater in Vancouver, where they had vaudeville, like goes, it goes back to the vaudeville age. They, they have, they've had activity dating back to that era because of an accident that happened on stage so it, it seems to be even though western canada is newer it, it has its fair share of history and it has its fair share of activity going on enough that like our group is busy all the time we could be in we multi, do multiple investigations on a weekend hmm. you mentioned the orpheum theater can you share what happened on stage and and whether there's a paranormal activity related to that yeah, absolutely. There was a, a high wire act, like a flying trapeze, and a, and a gentleman fell to his death on stage on the flying trapeze. Now, he apparently materializes as an orb on stage. Uh, there's also a woman that is in the audience that will applaud the shows who is a ghost. And there's also someone who died 
on site who worked there went down in one of the bathrooms, you know, back in the air when there'd be someone who would hand you towels. Sure. And stuff when you were done. And he, apparently his spirit is down in one of the basement bathrooms as well. And Vancouver Normal, Vancouver Paranormal's been there and they've conducted investigations and, and have got, you know, spooky uh, evidence that way, um, including like a chair pushing back from a table during the middle of an EVP session further than, you know what I mean? That it could fly on its own and there was no one there to touch it. Right. Oh, fantastic. I love that stuff. I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you mentioned Peter Wren had been involved with uh, an exorcist in uh, Washington State. Are Is Peter able or are you able, when you, when you do an investigation, able to determine uh, whether you're dealing with something demonic versus an earthbound uh, entity? Well, and that's, that's a really good question, Richard. And it's one of, like, I think part of it comes down to belief. Like, even though Peter does this with an exorcist, he's not convinced about, you know, sort of demonic energy. Do you know what I mean? Uh, he's also not a religious guy uh, as well. So that could be taking into it. He kind of looks at it as, as, he'll call it more negative entities. Um and the theory that comes in there is that if you're, you know, if you're a good person in life, you're you're going to be a good spirit. If you're not a good person in life, you're going to be a bad spirit. And so he kind of looks at it that way. But he has had a few cases where he can't rule out that it is definitely like something very, very bad is going on there. And there's even been one case that he had here in British Columbia that was definitely almost steering him toward the direction where maybe he was even wanting to use, you know, the word demonic, because mm-hmm. um, there would be language that was written, like, like in, um, it wasn't like, you know, like in, in movies and everything, it's presented as like, you know, like in, in, in Italian or, or um, I'm losing my... Latin, Latin. Latin, yeah. yeah, sorry, Latin. Yeah. Um, but that's actually, if, if it's going to really be demonic, it's not going to be Latin, it's going to be something like Aramaic, you that's, know what I mean? Like that's what old... I've heard. I just had that conversation with someone yesterday that said that, that that's what the language of demons, they speak Aramaic. Exactly, and there was... Aramaic that showed up in a girl's room where she was behaving in a way that was leading them down the path of considering an exorcism. Hello. Um, and he says that's something he'd never really seen anything like that before, but it was something that he that really gave him pause in that sense. And unfortunately, with that case, like it was, you know, the the, the girl displayed all the the symptoms that you could recount for someone who is going under the process of you know oppression, etc towards possession. I mean, it could also be mental health, but it was definitely, you know, he talked to the girl like via video chat, et cetera. And he, there was something wrong. And he said that the, what he saw in the parents' eyes was genuine fear and concern. So he didn't feel like he was being put on. So unfortunately though, when he was going to go actually and meet them, he'd set up time to go meet them. They, the family they vanished. They disappeared and even went to the house and there was nobody there. The house Holy was empty smokes. where they had been. And so that to him is very much that one kind of, you know, that one case where he was, it seemed like there was definitely something happening there. Was it demonic? He can't really say, but it was just interesting how all the points kind of led up, especially the Aramaic. Uh, tell me about this sort of this ongoing series on We Want to Believe called The Demon Jar. Yeah, the demon jar. Now, that's that's kind of what I mentioned a bit earlier about where we were at that hotel that's now used for social housing. And that had come, we had gone there to do, we want to believe as a podcast initially, like I mentioned. So we'd already conducted an investigation and recorded a bunch of 
excuse me, like sort of audio that could go along with it. And we were going to use EVPs. When it came down to doing the show, we went back uh, to film there. We were allowed back in to shoot. And the reason why the episodes were called The Demon Jar is because a guest, the, the, hotel, the hotel works in two capacities. Once it's a, it's a hotel used for social housing, and then there's a bar. There's two bars, one shut, one that's currently functioning. And the bar that's functioning, they had a regular get, uh, patron there that would always come in. He was, he was uh, Aboriginal, and he fancied himself a medicine man. And he had gone up to, to Reese, who's the manager, and he presented, it was like this little jar vial thing that he'd sealed and he'd said to the guy every time i come in here i get harassed by this spirit and it's a demon and i've actually been able to capture it in this jar and he sealed it with tape and he gave it to reese and he says don't you know i'm giving it to you to safe keep don't ever open it and so when we went into film uh we were actually saw the jar and what's interesting with the jar is, is reese and the other hotel staff say that it'll be completely clear at one point and then it'll start to fill up with condensation. There's nothing in it. It's completely empty. There's no moisture or anything in there, but it'll fill up with like condensation and then it'll go away. And this is something that we as a team saw while we were there. We saw it happen. Like we kind of put it on the bar. It'd be empty. We'd walk by later and it would be filled with condensation. And then we'd leave for a while and come back and it would be completely clean again. Um, and that's kind of where the name came from. And then through the course of our investigation, we, we, we got the EVP of the word demon. We heard, we recorded footage of the guy in the room yelling at something in there that he was calling a demon. Um, and one of our investigators, Sarah, when we were, her and I were in one part of the, the, the building in an empty section, we were doing an EVP section. And she picked up, she heard on her, her headphones growling come from somewhere. I mean, Lovely. it could have been her stomach, but Lovely. maybe not. It was, <laughs> it was all coming around the times when we were getting the, the demon EVP and it wasn't long after the, uh, the guy was losing losing it in the room and it was just it was interesting how it was all kind of building up to something but there was definitely as marcus one of our cinematographers put it there's definitely something there about a quote-unquote demon character that became the through line for that four-part investigation well in your professional opinion or peter's or any other member of the team is it is that does that sound plausible that you would be able to to capture trap an entity uh, a spirit entity in a jar? I, I think if, if something like that existed, it wouldn't be so easily caught, <laughs> if that makes sense. But the guy claimed to be like, you know, this medicine man. I, so I, I don't I don't know. And what was odd, though, we can't even say it was paranormal, but just the fact that you'd have this jar that one at one point is completely empty and clean, and then it would fill up with condensation. That's just strange. Like that, I can't explain that. I, you know, no, all of us that looked at it, there's no way we could see any other logical explanation that could have caused that, you know, some natural phenomenon, airflow, humidity, anything, because it was on the inside. Um, so yeah, it, maybe the guy caught something. <laughs> it's, it, it, to me, it seems out there and more of a Hollywood thing. Um, and, you know, for a show that was trying to be, you know, portray things in a realistic way, it seemed odd that on our first time out, we'd have all this stuff happen that's related to like demonic, alleged demonic activity. But it happened, and I, I can't like refute it. Uh, so I think it's it's really interesting. Maybe they did, and they still have the they still have the jar, by the way, and nobody's opened it. Hmm. Um, do you, in addition to investigating, uh, do you do any remediation? In, in what sense, Richard? Well, if someone, in fact, does have some sort of a paranormal problem or a negative entity, do you bring anyone on board to get rid of it? Hmm. That has never happened when I've 
been there, been involved. Um, I know that we will offer, actually, I can't quite say that. We were at one, one of the places, the barn, um, where we had a woman was having these, these weird experiences with water droplets appearing on her. And uh, we brought did bring a psychic in to kind of talk and give her some points on what she could do to try to, you know, end the t- spiritual attachment, because that's what it was kind of sounding with, sounding like. Um, so we will offer advice. I mean, you know, and one of the key things is if something's happening, you know, and it just seems ghostly activity, just either try to ignore it or, like, just put your foot down. And we'll say, this. you know, you got to tell whatever's here, this is your house now, and you aren't going to put up with this kind of behavior. Um, as for Peter, when it comes, like, to, like, an exorcism or something, I know through my time with Vancouver Paranormal, we've never had to do anything like that. Um, we've just tried to give as much advice on how to, to, to kind of confront what's in the home as possible uh, to make it more comfortable for them, or even just to try to push, not push, but just sort of tell the spirit, if it wants to be there, it has to behave, and if not, it has to go. Because that will work. Um, if, you, if you're the homeowner or the business owner is just very firm in their belief and is willing to stand up to whatever's happening. Have you ever brought a hitchhiker home uh, or, or thought perhaps that you had brought that uh, some sort of an entity had uh, hitched a ride on you and, and then all of a sudden it was in your place? I've had, yeah, it, I've had stuff happen like that. I know uh, there's there's been times where I've done an investigation. We always call it a little bit of a paranormal hangover where you're kind of you're tired the next day and feeling a bit drained. But I had something, you know, where it was like for a good three, four days where I was really run down. And where I, I would kind of have see these little shadowy things out of the corner of my eye. Um, and I've sort of had to do my best sort of to, you know, just say, okay, look, if there's something here, you got to go. You're not appreciated. You're not welcome here. Uh, and it's time to leave. And that'll work. <clears throat> I've only had that happen a couple of times. I know definitely there is the theory of the traveler and, you know, the spirits that will kind of follow you around. And you do want to take precautions definitely at the beginning of every investigation or say like, you know, okay, we're here. Just to communicate, we mean you no harm. And then kind of at the end, they say, okay, now we're finishing. You are not, you're not, you know, we are leaving now and you are, you're not welcome to follow kind of thing. We take the steps to do that. Ever been attacked, pushed, scratched? I've had, and it was this, the one experience um, while doing an investigation was at Tronk Hill. It was before I was with Vancouver Paranormal. I went back, it was after we had filmed and done our night done our night there for for my school project and i went back with with a friend of mine named donna and the facility because the area where i live can get heavy heavy snow so what they built between a number of the facilities are tunnels so that you can move food or supplies or or you know patients back and forth and we'd gone down into the tunnel system and we'd come out in an area that was the laundry building and just kind of come out and it was the end of the, the end of the day so we we're going to go back and instead of walking back across the property we figured it'd be quicker to go back down through the tunnels so literally within about a minute of arriving there i turned around opened the door to go back in to the tunnel system and i got it about halfway open and something pulled that door shut with so much force that i was pulled off my feet and slammed into the door and my friend donna screamed and ran up the stairs and left and i wasn't too far behind wow and i can't i can't explain that there was no draft it's a tunnel system i just come through this door uh, there's and I'd opened it halfway and I'm a, I'm a, I'm six one, you know one eighty one eighty five. I'm not a small light guy, and that had enough force to slam shut to pull me off my feet into that door. Have you had a, have you formulated any theories as to as to what you're experiencing? What what happens? 
I don't know, after death? What are what what, what might these things be? I look at it in a way. I kind of got two two minds about it, Richard. One of them, um, I'm really leaning towards. Like we're all made up of energy, right? electromagnetic energy and when we when we die that energy has to go somewhere and i'm thinking that we that energy maybe just moves out into like the earth magnetic field around a bunch of you know mixing with all the other energy around us and there's times when it can replay itself and then there's other times when maybe it maintains some level of intelligence and that's kind of what we're we're interacting with um i'm not 100 percent convinced that it's 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 a you know spirits you know from from beyond the grave yet coming back um but i definitely think that it's it has to do with our our energy as people and where it goes after we die and it kind of still remaining and interacting with the world around us i also like to think and it maybe fits more into the when you get into the realm of cryptids and, and, and monsters and things like that but you know john keel yes when he was doing mothman and he was talking about kind of those ultra beings sort of theory that are from an almost like another sort of parallel dimension to ours and they're coming over and everything we see be it ufos bigfoots etc is like one just these beings interacting with us uh and that to me also makes a lot of sense that this guy i'm really leading that all everything that's going on is kind of all interrelated somehow they're not separate phenomenon but it all ties in and it's a natural phenomenon to do with our planet um that sort of plays around with electromagnetic energy and it it, it kind of shows itself in ways that we can kind of understand it or, or try to comprehend it um that to me right now is sort of just where i'm sitting at it like i'm not i'm not really religious so i I don't know about you know heaven or hell although i've definitely seen you know good and bad in in this kind of behavior um and i think there's enough evidence out there to show that but i i'm I'm sort of just sort of sitting on that kind of keels ultra being slash electromagnetic idea yet as you know that's only really doing this seriously for three years we want to believe the web series. How do we watch? Oh, you can find it. It's uh, it's available at Joe Blow Horror Videos, and you can also find it. We have a Facebook page. We want to believe the series, um, and I also have a, a website. We came from the basement, which is for another show that I do, and we post the episodes there. And we have our our next ones coming out November fifth, actually. And uh, I know you have a book project, uh, Just Another Paranormal Investigator with Peter Wren. Any uh, idea when that might be available? Well, it's it's cool. Thank you for asking. And that's kind of detailing uh, Peter's career as a paranormal investigator. Uh, so some of the stuff we've talked about it shows up in the book. Um, and it's with Beyond the Fray Publishing right now, uh, which is kind of run by G. Michael Hoff and uh, Shadow Negro, of course, does Into the Fray, uh, Paranormal Podcast. And it's, we're right at the point now, like we've actually renamed the book uh, to I Want to Believe, uh, One Man's Journey into the Paranormal. And we're just kind of working on a cover design now. So I'm hoping that that'll it'll be neat to have that out in time for Christmas. Uh, it might make a neat Christmas present for people who are interested. So that's where that's at right now. And it's been a lot of fun. And we're, we're wanting to work on a second book that maybe details the adventures once we started doing the show forward. Fantastic. Jason, great meeting you. Thanks for hanging out. Well, thank you, Richard. It's been uh, for your interest and for having me on. I've had a great time. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll return on the other side to share a few details about an upcoming episode. What can I say about ESS-60 I haven't already said? It's a miracle in a bottle. ESS-60 is pure 
carbon-60. And carbon-60 is a miracle molecule that earned its discoverers a Nobel Prize in chemistry. I've been taking a tablespoon of ESS-60 for my friends at C60 Evo every morning for nearly a year. What a difference it's made in my life. It delivers better health, mental clarity, and immune support. I'm pain-free, energized, and I'm sleeping better than I have in decades. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is a powerful antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. It's a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that really works. And now you can experience C60 Evo's new Advanced Facial Serum, the groundbreaking new anti-aging formula that incorporates ESS-60, plus 21 organic, natural, and vegan ingredients. This luxuriant formulation is specifically blended to soften and heal your skin. Put it on at night, enjoy the subtle rosemary essence, and awaken to noticeably softer skin. To get your ESS-60 and C60's new Advanced Facial Serum, go to episode notes for this podcast and click on the C60 Evo link. And don't forget to use the code RS1SPEC, RS1SPEC, for 5% off. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time, author researcher Micah Danks reveals astrotheology and the Bible as a kind of astrological allegory. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.